listening to CodesCast, a podcast from the Center for Oral History and Digital Storytelling at Concordia University. Vous écoutez CodesCast, un podcast du Centre d'Histoire orale et de récits numérisés à l'Université Concordia. I'm your host, Sadie, and for this episode, I talk to Montreal-based documentary filmmaker and producer Marlene Edoyan. So, hello, and Hi. thanks for meeting with me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Yes, so I'm Marlene Doyen. I am a documentary filmmaker and a producer. I'm originally from Lebanon, from the city of Beirut, but I moved to Montreal uh, many, many years ago, some 20 years ago. Um, I first, when I first moved to Canada, I started working in animation, actually, before documentary. Um, but in 2006, I did a switch, and uh, having a media arts background, I decided it was time to go back and work in documentary, uh, and I can say that I've been doing that for the last uh, 13, 14 years now. I primarily, when I first started working in documentary, I was uh, producing uh, projects for TV primarily, but um, I decided to direct my first feature in 2012, and in 2015, I actually decided to only work in documentary, in feature-length documentary projects, uh, to research, to write, to uh, write scripts, direct, produce only for my own projects. Uh, only because I felt like I needed to have a focus. And when you work on other people's projects, sometimes you can't focus on your own projects. So, and I've been very happy since <laughs> having taken that decision. That sounds really awesome. Uh, are you working on anything right now? I am actually. Um, I am working on a feature-length doc. It's in. Uh, it was shot in Beirut, and I'm editing right now. And I'm supposed to actually finish it. Picture lock is end of January, so very soon. <laughs> um, it's about um, basically. 20 years, because I was born and raised in Lebanon, so going back to Beirut um, was something very personal for me. Um, I went there in 2014 on one of those trips, so basically uh, during my 2014 trip, I realized the city was changing, and maybe the way I was actually looking at the city had started to change. So that's when I decided I'd go back and take uh, a look at the city in a more critical way. So um, I thought, okay, 25 years after the Civil War, how are people coming out of their psychological barriers? Um, how are people beginning to live uh, together um, in a way that, I mean, is there tension in the, in the neighborhoods where they're living in, neighborhoods that were um, barricaded during the Civil War? There were no more barricades, but I mean, I felt that there was still some kind of barricade in the psycho psychology of the people, how they looked at one another, the us and them issue. So um, I thought there was a lot of a lot of issues that needed exploring. So I went back. I started uh, researching as of 2015-16, and um, I actually went into production uh, in 2018. Um, I shot for a year, and now I've started editing.
And so it sounds like, and I looked at some of your stuff online, that like um, testimonials or uh, personal storytelling figures largely in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, it's. I, I think every project is different, but I think at the base of all the work that I'm interested in doing is a result of a lot of research. So basically, any subject that I get interested in will definitely start with uh, a lot of research into the themes, into the subject, into the area, into the space. Um, because I'm very attracted to space, that is the first thing that inspires me. Uh, whether it's their large spaces or small spaces, confined spaces. Um, so uh, for my project shot in the South Caucasus, where I actually go and uh, look, go into uh, bordering territories with uh, the country of Armenia, which is Georgia and Azerbaijan, um, before and after communism. So basically, uh, those border lines were uh, points of tension. Uh, so how were people living, uh, how were communities actually living during communism? There were no borders. And once communism fell, that's when tensions started rising and nationalism took over and these ex-Soviet countries all of a sudden found themselves wanting to protect themselves. So um, my project, uh, uh, that film was actually um, like a road trip so where I go and actually meet people and a lot of chance encounters where I actually collect a lot of oral history connected to those stories of uh, before and after communism and to see how actually people were doing in these villages why were the villages being emptied out where were the youth going and how do you construct sovereignty and nationhood if you know, uh, you're losing half your population but my pro- uh, Beirut project is completely different um, it, again, like I research as of 2016 I was researching all the time although I was born and raised there but this was, but to make a film and to talk about people's stories, and to have them talk to you about their personal stories uh, and lives, is two are two different things. So um, once I felt like I had enough research, I did a lot of casting, finding the right people who can actually talk to you about uh, what are uh, the things that you're interested in discovering about um, a space uh, is very essential. Um, so yeah, so the Beirut project is basically I have my characters, uh, I know, I, and I spend so much time with them. I spend a year and a half getting to know them, uh, having them to trust me and to know who I am and where I'm coming from and what, and what my intent is with this film. So it's a, it's a give and take, and I've realized that you can never uh, get honest stories if you don't give people the respect that they deserve and the time that they deserve. Because they're opening up their lives to you. So, um, I mean, it's the least you can do is spend time with them. So that's why, for me, that the whole research and development is like the base of any project that I embark on. Um, Because you do see the results afterwards. Uh, For example, again, for this Beirut project, uh, uh, in May I went for a last trip. And I, uh, I, I spoke to people and I got people on board, characters who I had not spent that time, uh, the, the, the necessary time, time during the research period. And unfortunately, all those around three to four characters were cut out during the editing. So it's very transparent. Like the work you put in in the beginning uh, in research is absolutely highlighted at the end of your, you know, 
of the, towards the editing process in the editing process so so you need to really create that um, relationship with your characters mm-hmm. yeah uh, something I'm wondering about is you know documentary films they have their own story or maybe that's your story that you're trying to tell mm-hmm. how do you balance um, the story of the film with the story of the people that you're interviewing exactly uh, that's a really uh, interesting point I was thinking about that last night actually it's like symbiosis basically you you at, at whose story is it that you're actually telling at the end is it their story or is it your story um, I think at the very root you start with something that is close to you that you want to talk about um, and then you kind of find characters that will be able to do that job so it's both I think it's it's a bit of them it's a bit of you because you don't have your film you can't tell your story without their personal stories uh, but at the same time you wouldn't even be interviewing them or you wouldn't even approach them if you didn't have a certain idea in mind so I think it's the mix of the two at the end and it's that uh, relationship that you create with your characters that will result will be the end result of your film has anything particularly surprising come out of that process for you? Surprising? Um, I mean, I'm always uh, astonished and amazed with how transparent people are, how honest people are, and how much they actually want to share. And this is something I've, I've realized like for the last, I mean, since uh, my first feature doc and... Um, you can stop people and you can ask them questions and the, when you feel like they trust you they'll open up and they'll tell you their most intimate uh, of, of thoughts and that always astonishes me um, because I don't know if I'd be able to do that I, I don't know if I would be on the I, I would be able to be on the other side I'm such a private person and to feel like they're so open and uh, they want to share always sub- takes me by surprise for sure, for sure. But some characters really want it too. Some people really want their stories to be heard. And I think, and that's why I think research is so important because when you understand within a theme or a story, when you understand what that place of tension is for people within any story or theme or subject, um, and when you really know, when, when, you, when you're able to put your finger on that place of tension, um, that's where your story starts. And when you start from that, and when that's your starting point, people understand what you're trying to do, and they'll easily open up. Um, for example, for this project, the moment people understood that, for me, I was like them. I had lived this very difficult history uh, of war and then that place of tension where you don't know how to make sense of of life of uh, life and death and that moment of fear and what that does to you as a human being so when when you realize that's that's where the tension lies for this particular project then and you you convey that idea to your character your characters then they get it it's like it's a click you know it's like it, it, it it's there's a switch there for sure and then and they, they, they come on board with you and I think again that will translate in the final product as spectators they need to get that they need to understand that um, in that 
story, you know, within that story, there's that kind of tension, you know, the tension lies in the drama, in that human drama, and then, yeah, the ideas just come naturally afterwards. I think hmm. that's really cool. So obviously, you have a film filmmaking background, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering what oral history or the st- storytelling is like in that disciplinary uh, area. Mm-hmm. or how you think that filmmaking is influencing oral history itself? Um, I think uh, there is change happening in the way people consume oral history or um, think of storytelling. I think at the very base, um, the wantingness to listen, to create, and to share with others will always be there. But the process is changing. And I think, um, and I see that with, my daughter who's 14 and I see the way she uh, l- she collects stories she listens to stories I mean if you look at how blogger youtubers or the, the new generation consumes social media um, there is an exciting change uh, and I think uh, what's happening in the mainstream will seep back into academia and um, it will influence the way uh, filmmakers create their films and already in documentary films I, th- I feel like there's a change uh, when I first started uh, working in documentary it was more that uh, classical format uh, more like activist militant type films uh, where everything was very explained uh, to the audience and the spectator and now I find it's a lot more visceral it's um, People are looking at new waves of creating oral history. Um, we can history storytelling could be done in different ways, in you know, in different different formats. It doesn't always have to be through uh, the spoken word. And I see a lot of that being translated in uh, documentary films nowadays, where uh, people want to be able to say a lot of things, not necessarily with words. Uh, but through 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 moments, through um, through imagery, uh, through visuals, and how you edit those, uh, the visual language can carry can say a lot. And I'm actually um, working from my Beirut project. I actually got a short out of it as well, where I filmed with a migrant worker who has left her country of Sri Lanka. Uh, and has been living in Beirut for 20 years. And again, um, her story is confined to the spaces where she lives in and um, where the tension lies, you know, for her uh, between her work and the society that she feels she no longer belongs to her home country of origin of Sri Lanka and she will never be accepted. She's a second-class citizen in the eyes of all Lebanese. So um, it's the story of this woman and how she is confined to her working spaces. And she says very little. She'll be saying, she, I mean, what we filmed with her, she says very little. But, her, but she says a lot visually through her gestures and through her moods and through her work and through her moments when she's spending her time alone. So I find that very exciting to be able to say so much with very little audio. And then whenever she does say something is of extreme importance. And then you highlight a spoken word in that matter, in that way. I love that. That's like visual oral history. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me today. And thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. Awesome. Oh, it's me. 
It's me. Codescast was produced by me, Sadie Couture, and Maeva Thibault. Original idea by Marie-Anne Gagnon, supervised by Stéphane Martelli. Original music for Codescast was composed by Jacob Lassard. <laughs>